You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. So, yeah, and you know, the funny thing, they said, would I be interested in being on a show? And I, I said, you know, probably not. But if I did, the only one would be Survivor. It looks the most real. I was an Eagle Scout and Boy Scouts. And I did a lot of adventure racing. So I love challenges, adventures and all that. And I said, you know, I would love to do that. I would like, I would probably do that show. And that happened to me with the one that they were talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. Excited for this episode today. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to go to 2020-d.com. Go to the YouTube channel. Listen, wherever you listen to podcasts, we have some great episodes lined up already. And again, this one's going to be great. But first off, I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with my cohorts, partners, friends, musical compatriots, uh, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. So wonderful to see you, Siobhan. Ah, I know it's fun. We're doing our video intros now, so it's like feel like even closer to you guys i know right it's just we just can't <laughs> closer just to can't god but our guest this week great talking to him friend of alex boylan who we interviewed a little while back so go check out that episode that if you haven't really already you're gonna inter- no i'm gonna inter- of course i'm getting to the point but i'm trying to pitch another one of our episodes i'm here everyone's friends with alex everyone's friends with okay. alex anyway this week burton roberts you've probably seen him on survivor tv personality entrepreneur you know, he's on so many different projects. It was amazing to talk to him, but Pretty more sure than ben just a friend of ha- yeah, Alex. <laughs> I think Ben has a poster of him on his wall somewhere. Probably. He's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, Ben been, like, tried busting to... out of his shirt anymore. Like, oh, I used to play football. Yeah, really, bro? What well, was the Norm- football and the giant six pack and abs that were clearly being hidden by that sheath of polyester? Well, you couldn't contain your excitement on this episode because we got three recaps, which is more than the usual one or two. You also basically solicited him for a date by complimenting him. What else? So anyway, if, if well, you, he puts the dream crush. in dream job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I mean, if, if you watch the Alex episode, which you should, if you have not, Alex or Boyd, Jeff Schroeder um, or Jeff Schroeder. Uh, so you've kind of it's almost like you've already heard of, of our, uh, you know, of, of Burton. And it was kind of cool. That's to assuming get people his... listen to us, Corey. That's really a, a, I can a, only like a suspension of that, disbelief. I can only assume that if they're listening to this, they've listened to something else prior to this at some point. But, uh, you know, hearing his perspective on on the rise of their production company uh, and, and the mindsets that they share and how they differ, it, it's really interesting. And also just, um, you know, he also had some some great advice as far as dealing with, you know, rejection and how to kind of keep going through those times uh, and keeping yourself busy. It was cool to like hear both like partners of a similar project, you know, he wants like his tighter. Biggest- he wants it so much tighter than this. Just go to Burton. Just get to Burton now. I'm right. so sorry. I'm, I'm so I'm sorry. You, guys. I'm cutting you off. This is the episode. <laughs> Burton Roberts. It's good. Check it out. 2020.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Benny Goodman as we watch my cohort in crime on our show 2020. Siobhan, struggle to work out the audio, despite the fact that we get these highbrow guests that some some reason return our emails. But I'm Benny Goodman, and welcome to 2020. Uh, I'm here with my, my friends, Corey Peza and Siobhan Cronin. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to say I got my first COVID shot today, and it kind of hit me. Everyone's like, oh, no, the first one's fine. I got a fever in my arm. Like, I can't move it. I went to a drive-thru today and I was like, can somebody reach out further? Because I can't. I can't <laughs> oh, I lost get all, my arm. <laughs> all ability to do anything with that arm. What, what shot did he get? I got Moderna. Yeah. So I represent. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what happened to me. So I'm a little out of it, clearly. And then, you, have you had COVID? No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. Usually Maybe they say the fr- if, you get, if you get the symptoms after the first shot, you might have been somewhat exposed at one point. Oh, I mean, I don't doubt it. I'm sure. <laughs> so you guys have just been hearing. Uh, my friends, Corey Peza and Siobhan, but also my friend Sorry. and our guest this week, uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he's, a, he's like a producer. He's a television star. He's a director. He's a world traveler. He's uh, he literally jumps off cliffs and goes places and drinks tequila <laughs> like nobody's business. Is that fair enough to say Burton Roberts? That's a, I think that's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> Been Welcome. to over 67 countries with our friend Alex Boylan that if you haven't seen his episode, go check it out. And if you haven't seen our friend Jeff Schroeder, well, that show he was on going around the world for free. Well, this dude Burton right here, he's part of the tequila and the, the hangover that made this thing happen, I'm pretty sure. Is that fair? Is that a fair yeah, thing no, to hey, say? You're, you're nailing it so far. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, if you keep going, let me tell you about you, Burton. So don't, like you're great looking. That. And don't <laughs> scream into your mic, please. I'm, I'm for God's sake. Sorry, Burton. How have you been, man? Been great. It's um, yeah, it's been ages. Gosh, how long ago were we doing the KJFX stuff? The that fighter. The I think, I think we. I think we figured out it was like eight or nine years ago. Yeah, I mean that's probably the last time we were together in person, right? I don't know. You know what? It's Al- Alex has come out and Jeff has come out. You've been the one that's been so. I guess uh. Rec- you're too busy is what it is. You're busy taking over the world. On my plate. Yeah, somewhere else. So every time I've come to where you normally are, you're somewhere else. But it has, long story short, it has been a while. And uh, it's great to, great to see you, great to hear your voice, great to catch up. Absolutely. great to pleasure. have you. We did, in fact, hear that most of the great ideas that came up between you and Alex were over tequila. So that's an interesting way to start the episode. <laughs> You know what? What's so great about Alex's and my relationship is that we were friends first. We were both trying to do the same thing, and we were. It's very difficult to produce shows, to develop shows, and sell shows in LA. And so, for a long time or a couple of years, we were doing our own things, and we would bond over the challenges we were each facing. But we would do it in our in our social time. So yes, we'd we'd be out of bars, we'd be hanging out, and you know, just kind of. When you do what you love, you don't mind about talking about work all the time. And, and so we would share all these stories and then we're like, you know, let's just do this together and go through it together. So there's at least two of us going through the fight. And um, so, yes, lots of long nights, lots of tequila involved and um, yeah, lots of fun. Amazing. Well, maybe for some of our listeners who don't know who you are, or haven't been exposed to you, can you give us like an introduction of some of the stuff you did, how you got started, like some of your early experiences in the professional world? Sure. So I, I'll do really fast up until the, uh, the kind of present time. Um, 
these guys graduated college, started working in consulting, thought that was a great job where I could learn about all different aspects of business. But I was sitting in a cubicle doing computer programming, which drove me nuts. So uh, at the time, Yahoo, AOL, and um, the internet was just happening. And the first time I went online, I was like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Uh, I need to work in this space. And so I got a job for an internet service provider in St. Louis. Um, was the seventh employee there. After two and a half years, I left there. There were 120 employees. We had built a nationwide network to deliver internet service around the, around the country. And then uh, went to business school, went to Kellogg, got my MBA, went out to Silicon Isn't Valley. Kellogg a school? Not, not, it's not a school. It's, isn't that like a cereal? You're messing with me. Like, I love Kellogg's. <laughs> I eat it every morning. It is a cereal. Wait a unnecessary Wait. interruption. Yes. Is it unnecessary? unnecessary? Sorry. Yeah. Continue. unnecessary. It he is a cereal. The show, so he has no idea a, what 2020 is. That's what 2020 is. It's so when you're saying something deep and rude. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just kidding. So then, so after Kellogg, make my way out to Silicon Valley. And at the time I went out there, it was easier to get a job than it was to get an apartment. Is, it was in, this is in 2000, so the internet boom's going crazy. Everyone's moving out of San Francisco. I, I narrowed my jobs at, uh, down to LoudCloud, which was a company started by Mark Andreessen, who founded Netscape, and he's one of the most prolific uh, entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley ever. Uh, it was that or, or Google, which had less than 100 employees, and um, you know they were a great search engine, but that was about it. So I took LoudCloud's offer. Mark Andreessen left me a personal voicemail. It's like I was an Alta Visa guy myself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's that's a flashback. Um, yeah, so I worked out there for a few years, and then it was really a pivotal moment in my kind of business career trajectory. It was a business trip from I was living in San Francisco. Business trip down to Los Angeles, and I got approached by a uh, casting producer for Survivor. And they asked if I'd be interested in being on the show. And um, I didn't really think much of it, but then they sent me the application. They said, if you're interested, this is like on a Monday. They're like, you have to fill this out. So wait, where did they find you? Did they just like see you like at a mall somewhere and they're like, this guy's beefy. I was, and and I was at lunch in Santa Monica with yeah um, with so, so that happens in california so they're just it like you, look kinda, you yeah. kind of look like tom brady bro like like let's put you in something or like hey bro you could i alex said you look like the marlboro man i totally agree with that like you are like the marlboro man and i wish i could get camel points from you <laughs> like we could get so much stuff together that's right uh and yeah it was just happens? a lunch oh, sorry, i think it happens ahead. more often than not you know Someone can easily imagine a casting director talking to someone for a short period of time. They get a lot better sense of who they are than, you know, the 10,000 application tapes. True. So, so that happens. It's on a Monday. I fill out the application on Tuesday. I check into the hotel for a week long interview process that Friday. So I'm in this, this sequester process for Friday to Friday. Can't leave your room unless they tell you to. And, on a 24 hour kind of notice uh, or on every 24 hours you're being watched and they're, they're calling you in for interviews. So, so can, hold on. Uh, can we slow yeah. the, down the sale for stupid guitarists like me? So yeah. you are about to get on a huge television show and what people don't I'm understand, trying out for trying, trying out. out. And what they don't yeah. understand is that they basically seclude you. They're like that creepy right. dude at the club. That's like, no, you got to get away from all your friends. We're going to put Wait you in a room. Everything. You can't talk to anybody. You can't like have any decision making. Like we, we don't want you talking. You, no one knows you're here. Like we're going to do right. this. And then they have you take all these 
tell them it's like almost like clockwork orange before you get on these shows. Yeah, it's exactly right. So you check in your hotel room, you have 30 minutes for breakfast, 30 minutes for lunch, 30 minutes for dinner. It's set times. When you leave your room, you're not allowed to talk to anybody. You're not allowed. So even making eye contact is awkward, right? Because usually you'd at least yeah. not, hey, what's up? But yeah. you can't even make eye contact. If someone's in the elevator, you can't get in the elevator. You've got to wait for it to be empty. And then one hour to work out during the day. And that, other than that, you're in your room. And at any point in time, they could call you and say, go to room you know, 224 yeah. to talk to a producer. Prior to being approached, did you have any desire or inkling that you no, were- No, nothing. You were poached you on the street. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know, the funny thing they said, would I be interested in being on a show? And I, I said, you know, probably not. But if I did, the only one would be Survivor. It looks the most real. I was an Eagle Scout and Boy Scouts. And I did a lot of adventure racing. So I love challenges, adventures and all that. And I said, you know, I would love to do that. I would, like, I would probably do that show. And that happened to me with the one that they were talking about. Wow. So, um, but yeah, so, but so the interesting, I'd never seen Survivor. I knew of it and I'd seen like an episode here, there, but I'd never watched a season from start to finish. And this, by the way, is during season six back in 2003. So yeah, I'm stuck in this hotel room and, you know, for, for a week straight and, you know, some people go crazy. I didn't, because I was just on a business trip. I didn't even have a phone charger for my uh, cell phone, which was a flip phone at the time, I think. Um, I had to keep so you going. You really down. were surviving survivor. Yeah, I was surviving, <laughs> surviving the trial. Age, yes. You're like <laughs> you don't even have a working flip phone. I mean, this is no. back to like a 1994. I, I had to go down to the parking. I had to get permission to go to the parking garage to run my car to charge my phone. Oh my gosh! Once a day, pretty funny. So yeah, so the week ends, or that week ended, and they tell me I'm going to be on the show. It starts in a month. So. Not a lot they of didn't stating. even ask. It was just you're going to be on the show. <laughs> well, you, yeah, yeah, you're on. <laughs> right. it. And, well, we kind of uh, figure after they have you sign away your life because, like, I feel like you skated over this. Like, it's tantamount to signing over your organs and putting that little thing on your 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 driver's I'm, license. So when I'm you die, you MTV takes your organs <laughs> and gives it to the next challenge. So the yeah the uh, the contract process was I mean I don't know twenty pages or, or probably thirty or forty pages. I read the entire thing and I go, I went back to them and I said, I, I just have a few questions. I had questions all over the place. They were like, okay, no one or very few people read any of this stuff. And wow. people were like, I, I don't know what that means. And they would have to get someone else and clarify. But at the end of the day, you, I could say, no, I'm not going to sign that or change that. And they're just going to say, okay, there's 9,999 people behind you yeah. ready to sign anything. And so it was a, you're right, you signed everything away. So that being said, middle note to myself, follow the rules, uh, you know, don't do anything that I don't want to be misedited in general if I can help. Sometimes easier said than done, but. Right. In your, we've, we've talked to, to quite a few people now at this point that have kind of done the competitive reality uh, TV show style, you know, path. And you guys have all gotten into it from some you know, way or another. It's always interesting to see how that comes about. Uh, so far, I think everyone has had an athletic background. So growing up, were you in sports and organized sports specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I did um, football all through high school, played football my uh, freshman year in college, 
I played lacrosse at the end of high school and then club sport all through college, uh, swam all through high school. And then I got into a lot of, um, so I, when the first time I saw the Eco Challenge race, which was Mark Burnett's first production that he did, starting in like 95 or 96, uh, I was absolutely fascinated by it. And back then, I think the first years it was on Discovery Channel and then USA Network, I believe. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. And I actually applied to try to be on a team uh, or create a team for like three years in a row. One year was random drawing. Another year you had to fill out an application. Another was first come, first serve. Didn't get any of those, but it was always my dream to do something like that. And I will go back, Boy Scouts and Eagle Scout, like, like that was a lot, that had a lot to do with kind of my life experiences. And then it's starting in about, I, I started doing triathlons in high school and then did them a lot more like through business school. And then when I moved out of California, I was doing triathlons and adventure races a lot. So I kind of transferred my experience of team sports more in high school and college sure. to Triathlons are total solo sports. So if the five of us did it or the four of us did a triathlon, wouldn't happen. Probably not, <laughs> not going to see each other during the race. But at the end of it, like you kind of compare stories of this and that, but it's, it's an individual sport. If the four of us are on an adventure racing team, we're going through every single second together. Yeah. If someone's feeling bad, someone's there to help them out. If someone's, you know, you know, bummed out or, or this out of the other or needs food, someone else has some. And so, what I loved about the team sports was the camaraderie, the experience that you're all going through together and just the fun at the end. And so I really enjoyed yeah. doing those. And then I ended up racing in the Eco Challenge in 2002, which was the last time they did it until two years ago. They brought it back. And, which, um, and in 2002, it was in Fiji also. Nice. Yeah, wow. very similar answer that we got from Alex. So it makes sense <clears throat> that you guys have kind of had that relationship, you know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Alex and I have very similar backgrounds in a lot of a lot of those different aspects. So let me ask you, growing up, did you have a vision of what you wanted to do? Because, um, you know, some guests that we talked to, like that have been on reality shows, they somehow ended up in the corporate world and they're like, gosh, I hate this. And then this TV thing came up and it's like, OK, this is exactly what I want to do. Did you did you ever see yourself going into TV or shows or performance? Like what was your dream as a kid, you know, for a career? Uh that's a great question. So my dad worked for Anheuser-Busch. And back then, before they got bought by InBev, a division of Anheuser-Busch was called Bush Entertainment Corporation. It's now the SeaWorld companies uh, split outside of uh, Anheuser-Busch. But he ran those all the Anheuser-Busch parks. So Busch Gardens, Tampa, Virginia, and then the five or six SeaWorlds, and then some water parks around. So my experience as a kid you know, knowing my dad didn't traveling with him was going to amusement parks all over the country, which was just unbelievable yeah. and so much fun. You got to and cut all the lines. Every line. We would go <laughs> oh, up to a ride. And dude, like, why couldn't which, we have been friends when it mattered? <laughs> <laughs> which which position do you want to go on? Which ride do you want to go on? Cutting lines all the time. So it was a phenomenal as a kid, it was the best you had the best job in the world because we loved every trip. So with that, I saw like all of his business experience. So I knew I wanted to go into business. Um, at some age, I, I, I decided I did want to be an entrepreneur. And I, I don't know when that was, but I wanted to go into business. I wanted to work for a big company and then start my own company at some point. 
Um, but never, it never really crossed my mind about the entertainment space. Um, and, you know, a, a good friend of mine, we backpacked after we graduated college, we backpacked across Australia and New Zealand together. And his first job was working for William Morris at, in the mailroom. And I couldn't, I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to do what? And he's like, I'm working in the mailroom and you got to put in your time and, and really, you know, kind of earn your stripes, all these different things. And I couldn't understand. First off, it's hard to understand what an agent does outside of Hollywood. But then starting in the mailroom of that, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's so weird to me to, to start at that level and kind of what you would do. And so, like, the, the entertainment space was always a little bit foreign to me, to be honest. Um, and I really, Silicon Valley seemed to be my thing. But then Survivor changed all that, to be honest. It kind of gave me insight into the behind the scenes of making making shows, making content. So a lot of people yeah. that we've talked to, like Jeff, Paul, <clears throat> Pauli Calafiore, um, Alex, they, you know, they've said like after they've gone and done this, that they've made a mental note of like the directors or the producers and, and like, wait, someone gets paid to watch me be tortured. Someone gets paid <laughs> to like literally say, okay, cool. Wear a cow costume and get turned around or like, Hey, yeah. tarantula is on his, on his face today. Like, uh, and, and the fact is that you and, and Alex, when, when I met you, and I guess we'll go back to that. Like I met you eight years ago and you guys were developing television shows, but you were going around the world for free on a show called around the world for free. And this was, it, it now sounds like something like that could just be another gimmick that someone's do done. But like at the time, what you guys were doing, no one had done. And you guys just thought about it. You talked about it. And one of the things that I, I really love about both you and Alex is that everything you guys talk about, you manifest. And everything that you guys have been given as far as experiences, whether it's being on Survivor or The Amazing Race, instead of just being like, okay, cool, I'll take this ride. You're like, let me make notes so that I can come back and do this again on the <laughs> other side and still make money. You brought up a whole lot of info in there. And you, but you're, <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's all kind of dead on. And and I think, you know, for me, so when I came back, a lot of people are on Survivor, even on the island. Like, you have downtime, you're between challenges, people are talking, and they're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm going to make the money, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm going back to my normal job. Like, this was a fun experience for me, I'm going back to my job, this wasn't, I didn't try to get on the show to change my life. But I got back to my normal job, and it was like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about Survivor. I couldn't stop thinking about like, do I really love working either in internet infrastructure or at the time it was a video gaming company? I, I love the entrepreneur aspect of it. I love the startup business aspect, but I wasn't passionate about what we were doing. And so that's when I thought, you know, what can I do? My biggest passions were adventure and travel. And how could I do something, you know, involved with those? And so I, I made a, a small effort at starting an adventure travel company where I could take people on trips let them see it was actually a company called reality trips where say a 15 person group would go on a trip to a location led by like four or five reality people mm. so the guests could get to know these reality people if they're fans they could uh, ask a million questions and they would all go experience something really cool there's a lot of flaws in that business model it's not scalable there's a lot of you know it, it's hard to do a lot of different things and so that's when i started thinking gosh what if I made travel shows? That's a lot more scalable. You could impact a lot more people, open up a lot more people's eyes. And that's when Alex, 
and I kind of were doing different. He was doing surfing documentaries. I was trying to get a um, a competition reality show going that I did called Camp Reality, and uh, I sold it to Fox. And then when we were like, okay, let's do travel related stuff together, and that was when Around the World for Free came about. But talk about ahead of our times. I mean. We were way ahead of our time. Way people, ahead of, time of your time. Yeah. People thought we were crazy. <laughs> and, How did you um, get through that? That's because that's an interesting thing to bring up because a lot of people would get discouraged or feel like they don't know well enough, you know, and like just listen to the <clears> people <throat> that know. So how did you have the courage or the, you know, what what prompted you to just go ahead with your ideas when people were telling you no? That's, I love that question. So it, it was so powerful. So when I was doing it by myself in, in Hollywood, I was afraid to talk to people about my ideas because everyone said they're, people are going to steal it. And then because I'd get into a meeting and someone would say, what have you done before? I'd say, well, I haven't done, I haven't produced anything before, but in my mind, it's like, how hard could it be, right? Yeah. It's just a small business. You have an idea, you sell it, you, you produce it, you deliver it and all that. Um, but it was a beatdown. I mean, it was, it was, you're hearing no's all the time. And so when Alex and I started doing it together, there are two of us. And so going back to team sports, going back to adventure racing, doing things as a team. If one of us are beat down, the other one's there to lift, lift the other one up. And so it was a lot easier. And we also, Alex and I have a great, like he is extremely high energy, so positive and extremely creative. I had a little bit more of the business mindset, a little bit more um, reserved, I guess, if you will. So it was a great combination. We weren't the exact same, but we weren't so different that we didn't overlap and understand each other. And so it was this perfect combination where we could go in these meetings. Who cares if we got told no a million times? There were like a million more options to keep pitching to. And so that that was a gigantic differentiator for us. Right. Absolutely. Well, plus having a teammate, I think that really does make mm-hmm. a difference, I'm sure. You know, having someone that can complement your skills. I feel like we right. heard that a lot from many guests, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which Velociraptor are you? Are you the one that stares at the executive while Alex comes up behind? Or is Alex the one with the frenetic energy and just kind of like looking at you and you're like, clever girl. And they come up because that's what I feel like you guys are like. Because when I first met you, you guys are both like six foot eight and you're built like beautiful, like if if like just Adonis looking men and you're both like uh. godly and nice and affable and the, the thing is, I understand that. Date here? No, I'm on? telling you that that I understand their mojo because they go in there and like people are like these are guys like good old fashioned men that like learned how to do things the right way with morals and did it because it was hard and because that's how and you guys are like that. But then you use that to your advantage because you win yeah, at everything. Yeah. Like well, literally, I, well, we, win listen, everything. We, de- we definitely I'm don't jealous. win at everything. We definitely don't win at everything. But we don't get. So we don't. We never give up. Well, you didn't win Survivor. Alex did yeah. win the Amazing Race. Yeah, he won fifty percent. But I, you know, you do bring up something interesting. If we could ever get people out of the office and into a social setting, that was that became an extreme strength for us. Mm. You know, and especially when we were doing a lot of work with CBS and CBS Interactive in, in New York. We go out with their sales team all the time or their creative people all the time. And that was where a lot of bonding happens. And that's where you're telling stories. And, you know, that was where we, were, we could really shine kind of outside of that corporate environment. And so, um, you know, for sure, whenever we could do that, we use that to our advantage, especially as you get farther and farther down our career paths, 
where, you know, after working with each other for 10 years and filming all over the world, the, the amount of stories that we have. 67 we, countries. Yeah, just absolutely. Well, actually, I think it said over 68, which would make it 69 countries. Was, <laughs> is, is it more now? Uh, you know, it's no, it's whatever you read. Is that's the last? <laughs> no, that's what he said. He goes over sixty-eight. So yeah. I'm just like, couldn't he so maybe, just said sixty-nine? Yeah. But it could be seventy or seventy-one. Well, th- it right. Could be a lot, is yeah. it? Are we playing the prices <laughs> right? Is it like one, Bob? I'll take one. Um, after, it's probably one over. After you two teamed up, what was your first big win? Is in terms of of you know getting some some momentum and progress. Yeah, so I would say, uh, so Around the World for Free was the first show we started talking about. And, you know, the the premise is simple. One person has to make it around the world without money. But when we started pitching it, and this is in 2006, so Facebook is only in a few colleges. There's no social networking or anything. Um, You were in my top 10. What's that? You were in my top 10 on MySpace. (laughs) I think we may have even been Friendster friends. That'd be, I hope we were. Um, so when we started pitching it, people would say, well, what's each episode going to be like? You know, because everyone's used to do formatted shows. Like, well, we don't know. We're just going to, we're going to make it around the world. We're going to start traveling. We're going to tell the stories of people and cultures and places. And everyone we're pitching could not wrap their heads around the uncertainty involved with it. But we knew we're just going to keep going. And so we were unable to sell sponsors. We were unable to sell distribution partners. But we did get into CBS and they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted the launch and they wanted weekly updates, which for us was enough to be something gigantic to put our stake in the ground and say, okay, with this, let's go do it. So we actually had to self fund the show to get it started. And we had to build our own net. We had to build our own site that would allow us to distribute content on a daily basis allow for the viewers to interact with each other, interact with us and give us feedback on that content. And so while, so we we couldn't sell sponsors, we couldn't sell networks, we couldn't sell anything, but we did sell CBS uh, early show, the CBS early show. And with that, when we launched, you know, we we had like months and months of prep and we kind of had all these different things in in our minds and we built the website that was going to be used and, it was supposed to be, you know, it, it has redundancy all over. It can never, get, you know, crash. And we launch on the early show. And as soon as the segment's over, Alex comes over. He's like, I hope this works. And we look at each other. We're like, we don't, we have no idea. And there was a period of time where we were so nervous. And then we went, I think we went down to like the Apple store to log in and check the website. And our website had crashed. And so our developers were there like, dude, what you said it could not crash. I think it shouldn't be able to crash. And so it crashed, but one, one or two messages, a few messages got through. One was from the very first lady who was a part of the show in South Carolina. She said, come down here. Here's my contact info. I'll buy you a train ticket. And so with that, we knew like, okay, I think this is going to work. And then, you know, Alex, like there's no way he wasn't going to make it work. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. We just, needed, we just needed that first lead. And that was day one out of, what, 167? It's crazy. Yeah, it's 167? Wait, that's how long it took to film the first season? With 167 days, 16 To circumvent countries. the globe. Yeah. 
Yeah. And prior to some, basically most social media, I mean, that was very innovative yeah. to be on the side of building the website and creating that whole platform because that was really before all these platforms existed. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some millennial right now going, I'm building that on my phone, but millennials, <laughs> you were like three when this was right. happening. Because exactly. I, I don't think people understand, like 2000, like we, we talk about like to, to fly the Apollo space mission, right? Like they had less than a TI-83 yeah. uh, to, to fly him to the moon. Now- like my phone is more sophisticated than like any camera they were probably using <clears throat> seven years ago. For sure. Right. So well, and Alex probably Alex probably dove into the technology that was used and everything else at the time. Like we had these satellites, big satellite that took up half a backpack and all this different stuff. Well, you I guys, didn't. you guys were basically doing like a, a a Craigslist, but on CBS and just going, let's hope like we don't get murdered. And like yeah. you did it. It's it's it, but. Now where people might think it's not as avant-garde, it's not as edgy, bleeding edge, I think is what our marketing people call it, like bleeding edge, like where it's scary, you know, just or just being a girl getting on a train, going to LA and trying out to be something new. Like you guys went around the world with your own money, self-funded, your website crashed as you're on the early show and you got like a message through. And then the show's on. You're like, I'm going yeah. to South Carolina on a train. And from then on, it was 167 days. How many countries? 16 countries. And um, I mean, the amount of people who were a part of it, the, the, and they kind of, so what we wanted to do is tell the personal stories of traveling. So if we're going to Thailand, we're not going to a restaurant and ordering Tom Yum soup. Alex is staying with a family who's going to a market to buy all the ingredients for Tom Yum soup. And they're going to make that yeah. in their living room. And so it was the ultimate kind of live with the locals, learn the customs of locals and see how people around the world live and, and, uh, and meet them and tell their story. And so it was such a neat and special, you know, Alex and I have always loved individually traveling because you get to meet different people and see different cultures and learn about them. And this was the ultimate immersive experience. And so, yeah, through the 16 countries, just all kinds of stories it came about and um, so many different people who were involved with it with it and yeah. i think we delivered 125 or 127 webisodes out of those 167 days uh kind of telling that story and saying you know here's what i've done the last 24 hours in austin now i'm looking to get to san antonio right in if you can help me and that was kind of how that baton kept getting passed. What sort of team did you have around you? Was it like provided by CBS or like how, how did that happen? Because you started <laughs> just two guys like this is kind of a massive operation. So how, how did was, you find the team to help you with that? It was Alex and it was Schultz, one producer, editor, or nicknamed Predators. Um, <laughs> that Schultz would film all day, edit all night, and then push it out and deliver the content the next day. And then I was back in L.A., doing all the business side of it, making sure the website was running, still trying to get sponsors and distribution and things like that. And, uh, and so we were always talking and, and always kind of running the business while we were still filming the show. But it was just, it was virtually a, a three-man operation at its core. And then the, the uh, website production um, company, as well as kind of a marketing company and a PR company at one time. And then uh, we brought on a, an intern who helped out, but it was a tiny, tiny team because in the field, you can imagine if you're trying to get a free ride and, and stay with locals, you can't have, you can't have a crew because you have right. to have that personal experience in the filming right. of it. So yeah, it was absolutely crazy. I don't know how 
don't, I don't know how they do it on the road. To be <laughs> so after you guys put, put this together and, and kind of had this proof of concept, especially, and, and we went over this with Alex, but like <clears throat> you guys kind of pioneered that production style, um, where you were able to work on like these unimaginably small budgets compared to most, most stuff. So on the success of that show, um, what was your mindset and what was your approach from there? Like, was it like, all right, what can we do next right away? Or how'd you, you know, what was that? Yeah. And so that's a great, like, kind of you life get back after 167 days. Like what, what's well, he was, going through he, he was sitting in LA. <laughs> yeah. So we, we well, come back. And so I, this sort of, well, a couple answers here. Um, we come back and we knew we had a phenomenal story and had worked. We made it around the world. <clears throat> and so then what we did is we took all the content. We said, okay, 127 webisodes uh times you know averaging three minutes we've got x amount of content what could we do to packages for tv and so then we started meeting with different distribution channels uh and started pitching kind of a recap of the series after the fact so we actually were able to sell it domestically to wg in america we did 11 one-hour episodes with them and then we hired on a an international distributor out in la and they sold it in every every region around is the w, world. Uh, maybe I'm having a brain fart. Is WGN Chicago? Yes. Okay, so I'm not out of my mind. Okay, cool. Yep. yep. I am, but so not They have a region. massive footprint all over the country. So they, they bought it domestically, internationally. We sold it all over the world. And then that, you know, that covered all of our cause of war and a lot more. So we were ecstatic about it. That it worked from a creative standpoint as well as a business standpoint. And then at that point, we were able to go tell the story of how it worked, and we continued to pitch it. And then CBS Interactive bought seasons two and three. Um, but back to the budgeting question, what was so great about what we did is when you're spending your own money, you're super conscious about where every dollar goes. How can you do things absolutely the most efficient way? And so we started from the bottom up. So our budget is zero. We're going to put a little bit of money in as we need it and keep working up. And so that's how we've always looked at budgets. You take someone who starts at the top, all they know how to do is spend a lot of money because they get a lot of money. And so they start spending all this. And so a lot of times what really helped us is we'd go into um, you know, pitches or we'd be talking to Travel Channel, Lonely Planet, a lot of these different companies we end up working with. And when we came to budget, we'd always try to get a sense of what they had you know, obviously from a negotiating standpoint and whatever they throw out, like, okay, look like it's not very much, you know, and then we walk out like, dude, that's so much money. Like, that was so much money. But to someone else, like a big company yeah. with a lot of overhead, everything else would probably be like, there's no way we can do it for that much or for that little. So yeah, it gave us, and it gave us a tremendous amount of respect for, you know, where you're spending your money and, um, and the value of that, which which I think has carried, you know, through life and everything else. So uh, my question for you is, so after you finished this series and you were talking about repackaging it to sell to TV or to different other mediums, how, how did you go about under, maybe this is from your business background, but how, like, if you're somebody in a comparable situation, <clears throat> how do you know how, where to find the people or who to approach or how to approach that process of taking an asset and turning it into something else? Because I think that's a huge part of, of growing yeah. a, a product or a brand or an idea. Yeah, so then this falls back on our relationships, starting with The Amazing Race and Survivor and CBS. And really, 
you know, and it also goes back to the bonding that Alex and I would do with uh, when we met with people. We, you know, we got to know a lot of people and we were able to go back to them, ask for help, ask for, you know, connections, different things that we could go do. And so it was um, a lot of those aspects that helped us kind of network. And if, if someone couldn't help us, like, gosh, could you please introduce us to someone who could? And it was one thing after another. Right. Do you there were like definitely, you know, there were a few times in the industry where, um, you know, people say that one person can really make a difference. And there was um, a connection of mine from SMU where I went to college. Um, he was running kind of WGN or a, a part of it. And he's like, go talk to them. We need content. And so it was a it was a very warm introduction to that meeting that really helped that. And then when it came to international distribution, you know, he made connections there. We talked to a lot of companies. And so a lot of times it's, you know, the, the quality of the introduction you get can can vary quite a bit as well. So are you basically saying that you guys are like the first Instagram influ- influencers, but not on Instagram, but just in life? Because people don't realize that like what you guys are doing now everyone's doing it's so ubiquitous so like there are literally people who make nothing uh, but a living endorsing products on instagram on twitter on facebook and like the concepts the root concepts of what you guys were doing as far as like webisodes and web series like i i want the the people out there to understand like this is now the norm but when right. you guys did it 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 wasn't even a space and from what I gather yeah. from Alex, like Rachel Ray came back to you guys and said, well, we don't really know exactly what you're doing, but we kind of want you guys to emulate it. But with our show, because right. you were the only right. ones doing it. But now it's like you see all these streaming medias and like there's now like the web series to 90 Day Fiance. There's like the after this and blah, 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 that are like these sort of iterations that they were talking about that you guys did. But you guys were the genesis of this. So you're kind of glossing over it. Like, but do you ever sit back yourself and see like, you know, the people on Instagram making all their money, like showing cookie dough and go, I, I that's, that's because of me. No. Yeah. I mean, they you got know, the cookie dough because of me and my, my crazy show idea. So much of life is being at the right place at the right time. And, uh, um, you're the butterfly that we stepped we on. We were, we, you know, we were a little bit early, right? Like it's crazy to think had we had. We could have had the idea earlier than we did, but had it been a bit later, you know, there's definitely a lot of things could have changed. But yeah, it was, you know, early on with everything. And, you know, we were doing product placement. We had at and as a sponsor, American Airlines. Um, you know, at one point, what we wanted to build was a massive social network for travelers where everyone could post their travel stories. Anyone can have a travel adventure and most importantly, connect all those people so they can share the stories. They could learn from others and everything else. But once again, a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit early, a little ahead of our times, but it's pretty, pretty wild uh, thinking about it. Does it make wow. you feel better about Google? <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> like, at the end of the day, like, because sure. all the success is relative, right? So at the end of the day, had you just fucked all these stupid ideas and just gone to Google, like you could be like literally laughing from your maybe, actual yeah, ivory tower. Hold on, hold on. Oh my God, it's a real zebra chair. Look at that. You probably got that in Africa. <laughs> Going down to Africa. <laughs> You're great at like holding someone up that when they're like half out yeah. of the frame. Don't leave. <laughs> you can't leave me. No one leaves. My God. 
<laughs> the dog was going crazy. Oh. Uh, sorry. I understand that. It's all good. Okay. We have a lot of furry friends that pop into yeah. frame in these episodes. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> it's 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 kind of cool hearing hearing the story from your perspective, you know, after hearing Alex talk about it and just kind of seeing just how how everything worked out just you know perfectly because of the way you guys operated and how you didn't let uh things get in your way that probably would have stopped a lot of other people but can we fast forward maybe a little bit so after you kind of established yourselves um you know take us through the the next few years because that was a while back so like yeah you know what's, yeah, what's absolutely been, what's so been it was you know, you're the hard thing about the industry, and once again, the good thing about doing it with with a business partner, especially when Alex and I were together. I mean, you are pitching nonstop. If you don't have twenty different ideas that you're pitching in one shape, form, or another, like you, you don't have a chance. And so, we spent so much of our if we're filming shows, we're always trying to think of different show ideas, and sometimes we come up with them. Sometimes we'd hear about others. Sometimes. We'd meet just an interesting person or our agent would say, you've got to go talk to this person. And so we spend, you know, most of our time kind of developing ideas and pitching ideas. And, you know, at some point in the college tour, which we'll get to in a little bit, mm -hmm. is just taking off and going gangbusters. But at some point, Alex, I'll look back and I mean, I still have all my files and everything. We have to have 200 show ideas at minimum that we've pitched over the years. And, you know, a handful of those, like Around the World for Free, the Rachel Ray, we did a massive thing for the Boy Scouts. We had, um, you know, a lot of different things that we did do. When you look at it from a numbers standpoint, just a tiny percentage that actually led to something that was significant enough to keep the company going and keep us going, keep us motivated. So it was, you know... Sometimes like the Boy Scouts around their 100 year anniversary, uh, we had a massive project with them that we were filming every week and it was really exciting. Um, and so when you get something like that, you're like, oh my gosh, we can take a breather. Yeah. We're set for six months. <laughs> but, and, but then you have to start uh, coming near the end of the six months, like better buckle up. We've got to find something to do. So, you know, it's being a producer or trying to be a show developer so many similarities to an entrepreneur, um, except the big difference is, and the way I, the way we look at every show we've done, each show is like a small startup company. You know, you have your idea, you put together a pitch deck, which is just like a business plan. You try to sell that. If you do sell it, or you get investors, then you have to go execute on it, and then you're you're trying to figure it out. And then, you know, a company entrepreneurs. Ideally, a company will last a lot longer than a show idea. A show idea could be months or, or a year, you know, a year or so, but a lot of times not very long. And then you do it again and again and again and again. And so it was, uh, you're always in that mode of looking for that next big thing, unless you sell like a massive show like Survivor that just goes on forever, um, which obviously is extremely difficult to do. So we... Um, it was fun. We, it was fun. A lot of ups and downs, uh, but it was also it, it was also a bit of a lifestyle uh, company and business and industry to be in. Where Alex and I say, where do we want to go travel to? What do we want to film? And how can we absolutely love what we're doing? So we might not be getting paid as much as others, mm -hmm. but my gosh, I just spent you know four weeks traveling around New Zealand doing the top fifteen things to do in New Zealand yeah. and sharing that with the world. Have there so been any? 
Have there been any points that you can think of that were maybe, you know, one of those downs that you kind of had to really dig deep to, to figure out how you were going to get back up and then, and then what, what turned those around? I mean, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, the beat down over time of hearing no's nonstop and it wasn't the rejection as much as damn it. We didn't sell that. We've got, we've got to find something that's going to sell. And yeah. so it, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any kind of any one really moment that was super deflating, but it was more just like, you know, you get beat down a bit, you get picked up, you get beat down, you get picked up. So a lot of ups and downs. And, um, and then, you know, I would say that uh, when we started dream, so after around the world productions, we partnered up with Lisa Hennessy, Mark Burnett's right hand person. She's, I met her on the first Eco Challenge that I did, and she was always kind of a role model to me. And we started pitching to her our idea for dream jobbing. And then she's like, oh, my gosh, I love this. I want to help inspire young people to pursue their dream careers. And so it was like a perfect thing to bring her in on because she could add so much value. She's had a dream, you know, kind of producer, or executive producer career her whole life. And so when we started that, our expectations were just through the roof, like, we're going to make it, this is beyond just a production company. This is a company that produces content, all these different things. And it took off great. It, there were a lot of amazing things that happened. But over time, it was, we struggled a bit, quite a bit. Um, and then I was, I'd also moved back to Austin. They were still out in California. So we had, you know, three, three business partners in two different locations. That's, that brings up, three people brings up challenges. People in different locations bring up challenges. And then we also split off and I, we started another company together. So we spread ourselves thin. So they were looking back like, okay, shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done this. Like probably it's real clear what we did wrong. Talking, talking about spreading yourself thin. Uh, this is something that I know a lot of people struggle with. Uh, I know the three of us struggle with this all the time is we Never. take on, uh, you know, <laughs> we, uh, I don't have to fucking sleep, bro. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you're you're just not full of anxiety all the time. Um, oh, but, I am. That's why I don't. But sleep. Yeah, when when you are, you know, when you do get really busy and you start seeing some success, and and you find, you know, I don't know if if you have this mentality. I'm sure you have this mentality, but you know, kind of being a yes person, you know, taking opportunities as they come up. Um, has there been times where it did get to the point where you're like, oh crap, I have to stop agreeing to do things, or I, I need to clear my plate to to have like a healthy mindset? And and how did you deal with that? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I, gosh, Alex and I probably did a lot in the moment because, well, also because of the excitement. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. we could go to that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. And it would be fun, but it wasn't really helping the business kind of move forward and things like that. And so, once again, I'll, I'll kind of jump. Hindsight's always easier to look back on. Yeah. Uh, where we are now, we're in a position now with the college tour and the show that we're doing where we can we and we've had so many conversations like my gosh finally we can say no to things and finally we we have something that's so repeatable we've done it already so quickly it's just going to keep scaling up now we can say all right we're not just going to jump through hoops for everyone here's the deal if someone wants to be involved with it they can take it or leave it type thing and um and not get kind of stuck in the I have to make this work no matter what uh, kind of mentality. Um, but, it, you know, the good thing is with our going back to our roots, 
we haven't lost any of those. We we just have the ability to look at things a little bit more um, selfishly from a standpoint of better for us, better for the business. Right. Um, Let me ask you what, out of curiosity, since I have no insight into TV or film production, what does it look like to pitch an idea? So let's say, obviously, you've had a lot of experience at this point, but if you're someone that's kind of new in the game, it's your first or second idea. What, like, what is the process like for you've got this idea for a show? How do you go about it? Do you just self-produce and hope someone finds it? Maybe social media made this different. I'm not sure what it even looks like. What's the process? Yeah, like? that's a great question. I, I haven't been asked this in years. So I think it's it's changed. It's evolved over, you say over that to time. All the girls. <laughs> What's that? You, ha- you haven't been asked this in years. Like, I bet you say that to all the girls. You're so good at this. <laughs> Everyone take notes. Burton is slick. Uh, okay, so back when we first started pitching, uh, it was a, a presentation. You would do a presentation that would be, you know, here's the show concept. Here's what the format would look like. Here are the people involved. And you'd walk someone through it. And if they were interested enough, you would hope to get you know, funding to go put together a pilot or put together more content or materials around it. Well, that evolved into people, you know, either the distribution platforms and networks or the agencies, whoever you're pitching to, start to expect um, tape or a pitch reel. So then we would start, so we we'd put together the first part internally, and then we'd go film anywhere from a two to a five minute pitch reel that would give a highlight of what that show is. If it's about a, a truck building company down in South Texas, you would show, here's the format, here's what the company does, here are some of the characters. So whoever's watching it could get a good visual. Okay, I get the format. I see who's going to be in it. I can relate. I, I'll understand right away if that's the right fit for the audience, things like that. And so uh, that's absolutely the bare minimum. If you were getting serious about pitching, you would need to have the show concept fleshed out in a short uh, video trailer that we kind of put that all together. Um, a lot of things these days are going beyond that and saying, in addition to all that, you need to have excellent talent attached to it. And so I remember we pitched using that truck company. This is in South Texas, the biggest uh, or one of the best um, company who builds these out of control hunting vehicles in the world is down in Three Rivers, Texas. And so it's family run, husband and wife run it, their sons, daughters, and, and like nieces, nephews, all these people like work in it. It's a great story. They build these biggest over top things in the world. And we pitched someone once and they said, uh, if they only had beards, if they had more, do more people have beards? Because Duck Dynasty at the time yeah. was such a hit. And so sometimes it's just, it's crazy based on the timing of what someone's looking for. Um, but yeah, so they'll want to know what talent is involved with it. And so that, you know, that's if you're going for a really large kind of a network. If, you know, it, it, whenever I'm approached by someone who's really young, say a, a film student or studying to be in the industry, the good thing about now, you could film everything on your phone. You could edit on your phone or your computer. You could do everything you need to on that. And you could push it out on uh, social media as an example of self-distribution. And so depending on what it is, if it's not some super huge format show, you might be able to duplicate a lot of that and basically, yes, yeah, self-fund and create it, create it on your own, 
push it out, become an influencer if that's what you're trying to do, get it to a level that you can then take that to a brand or a, a platform or a channel and say, listen, I'm, here's what I started out wanting to do. Here's what I've done. And here's what I'm looking to do next. And then that's, you know, that could be a way these days. Wh- which is sc- which is scarier to you? The old way where I, I, I'm going to put it in music terms. Back in the day, you can have Bob Dylan playing a song and like you, people are like, he's a cool poet and like he's got a thing. And then someone points a ta- like a microphone at him and someone's like, I believe in that. And then Bob Dylan happened. Whereas now they expect you to come in with like a 8K movie and like, you know, uh, some ridiculous we're aspect back, ratio with TV like seven music. Okay, back with music. Okay, with music, they expect you to have a video. They expect you to have like two million followers. They expect you to have a perfect sounding record with like perfect mastering produced by Howard Benson, uh, your Grammy Award winner. You know, like and there's no excuse because Billie Eilish could do it in her room. So why can't you? So yeah. that's the thing is I don't know which is scarier: the fact that you had to go through MTV. And that you had to go through radio and you had to go through like these small channels where it was like, you know, mm-hmm. very specific. Or now uh, there's everyone everywhere and there's so many channels. It's kind of like when I take acid, everything's talking to me at once. I don't know what to pay attention to now. Uh, well, I didn't have a choice. So I just went through. We went well, through. Acid the- isn't a choice either sometimes. <laughs> we just. Well, you we put in went- your friend's drink. What we had. Um, man, this, you know, this probably like many things is probably pros and cons for both. Um, you know, the good thing is, I think for someone now who doesn't have a choice to go back and do it the old way, there's no, truly no excuse for not trying. Right. Back then, you could say, I didn't have anyone to pitch to. I didn't know what a deck should look like. If you have an idea for something now and you've got a phone that can record and you have social media, you have enough to make an effort. Now, everyone else does as well. So there's a lot of people who may be making that. But it's really, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, um, yeah, taking those chances and putting it out there. And and how badly does someone want it also, right? It's really easy to give up on things. It's real hard to stick with them. And so at some point, that becomes a, a major factor in, in either or in both uh, situations. Yeah. Well, it seems like you had an incredible work ethic and Alex too. And I, I was curious to ask you because I, we're all kind of on the edge of a very different generation. <laughs> and I wonder what you think about like kind of the younger creators. Like, do, do you feel like th- that work ethic still exists or everyone kind of expects this? Oh, I have this great idea and I'm just going to put it on social media and people need to want it. I don't, I don't know. Do you feel like people yeah. work as hard as they used to? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, Maybe that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, um, I mean, times are changing. So, yes, worth, work ethics appear to be changing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, what'll be really interesting is you fast forward 20 years from now, when you go, when you take the work ethic of people in this changing environment who are going into entry level jobs. So there's a certain impact that they're going to make then. What's going to happen when they're in manager level jobs? And I think I was reading some article or I saw some headline in, on the news the other day that like a lot of a lot of these people don't want my manager jobs. You know, yeah. why would you take on more responsibility, more <laughs> risk, all those different things? Just stay kind of at the routine thing. So I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of things are going to change for sure. Um 
but I there's there's no doubt there's still entrepreneurs out there. There's still people who have a ridiculous amount of drive and everything else. And so the great thing is it doesn't matter if 99% of the people aren't doing it. Any individual could go do it if they really wanted to. Yeah. Very inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's a great lesson. And I I think I, I agree that, you know, one thing you said is that there's anyone can do it, but not a lot of people are. So I feel like the people that are those entrepreneurs are continuing. They, they could to. they could rise above the noise if they right. really want to, um, you know, right. get up to where the air is thin, so to speak. Yeah, and, and if you think about what it takes to be successful, hard work for sure. Either you have to have a good idea, or someone else around you does. Right place at the right time. Luck has a lot to do with it. So there's all these different variables, and. You know, if, the more you increase the chance of any of those variables rising, the better your chances overall. And so I think there'll always be, there's always going to be That should be the name of your book, Burton Roberts, Variables Rising. <laughs> well, Dude, it's fucking so deep, bro. You, I, honestly, that is you. That is a metaphor. That's an allegory. It really happened. No, it's true, though, I, I because I think about this, too. You mentioned how you had a buddy from, I think, college or something that later on down the line connected you or got you a meeting. And I at, in music school, mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. I mean, you, you don't necessarily recognize it at the time, but all these people go out into the professional world. You shared a space with them at some point. They're developing careers in each one of those. The, the more you're putting yourself in those situations with different For people, sure. you're mm-hmm. exponentially expanding your potential network. So, yeah, makes yeah a lot of absolutely. Sense. And. Yeah, the more the more you're talking to someone, the more you're getting to know people. Um, you know, and everyone's probably like going to networking events, you're like, God, I don't want to go to this. And you go to you meet one person, you're like, all right, that was worth it. Like yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times it is a drag though. You know, sometimes you don't feel like talking, you don't feel like doing all that stuff. But um, there's no doubt the more people you know, the better chance of, of things lining up. And you know, there there are social media tools, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, that that can help facilitate a lot of that. Um, but good old networking is always done. Alex and I really well, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we know you're a busy dude. Um, why don't Why don't you kind of take us through? You know, where can people find you know what you have going on right now? Like, what's what's yeah. So so what's really exciting is that let so. I, we've gone through Alex and I starting around the world productions, traveling all over the world, doing that, founding uh, dream jobbing with Lisa Hennessy. You not taking the job at Google, not taking, and, then, and then retiring by the time you're how old are you now? <laughs> I would have retired in, in well, the end of my forty for sure, ten years ago. Yeah, man. So yeah. well, you didn't do not that. Not doing that. So is that called an opportunity cost? Yeah, I mean, for sure. No, because you're like a finance guy, right? So I'm just trying to understand all these courses I took in school, but I felt were useless at the time. So that's an opportunity cost, right? So the co- uh, so it's just basically the cost of doing business is walking away from Bezos. Right, right. Okay. That's Amazon. Uh, understand. So <laughs> the... Wrong company. Okay. Yeah, that's Amazon. But listen, that's a resort. Listen, I'm just a guitarist, all right? This is way above my pay grade there, Mr. Roberts. Um, so then we did dream jobbing, then we did a, another thing. But the, what's so great about the college tour, which Alex and I'm sure Alex told you the story coming up with this, his niece looking to apply for colleges. Mm-hmm. 
her not finding a lot of content that she needed or wanted to help inspire her or replace visiting a school. And so when we started thinking about the idea of telling the story of colleges, what's so perfect about it and our careers, our backgrounds, our passions is it combines storytelling about the college, about the people. It involves cultures that each college has a different culture and a look and a feel. And it involves inspiring other people. And so it truly does bring all of our skill sets and our, our, our passions for why we do what we do together to help tell the story about each of these colleges in every episode that we do. And then this, the prospective students and family and parents and whoever can go watch those and be inspired by those. And they can make better decisions on where they want to go to school and what that means to them. And so it's really exciting from a, a production side and a creative side because it meets all those needs. But then from a business side, unlike most productions where you have limited episodes. So I'll go back to Round Wolf for free. The first season was uh, 127 webisodes and 11 one-hour episodes. And then after that, we did just 100 days of each uh, filming, so shorter number of episodes and everything else. With this college show, there's no limit on the number of episodes. You know, by the end of this yeah. year, we will have filmed it over probably 60 different colleges. The next year, another hundred or so. And then, so what's so great is it's a sweet spot of a great creative idea, a great business opportunity, and then virtually unlimited ability to help tell stories and impact people. I feel like I'm like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank going like, you're on to something, Grasshopper. You actually have a business <laughs> model. You found your little nice air pockets yeah. at about 30,000 feet, right? <clears throat> just above the turbulence, just below the air pressure, right? And you're just gliding around because you're like, you know what? There's a bunch of schools. They all have stories. There's all... There's always going to be somebody who's going to be influential. Like you can't tell me there wasn't a school built on something that meant something to yeah. someone else and that we can't explain that in a meaningful way because I'm Burton Roberts and you found that niche and God bless you, man, because you want to know what I, I have found that it is so great when someone like you and someone like Alex takes your, your knowledge and your skills, but you use it for good because like, honestly, like college and learning, like, there are other things you could be doing right now. You could be doing Big Brother After Dark with that beautiful six pack I know you got underneath there. But instead, you're at schools, being a learning about things and how to conjugate verbs and iambic pentameter. And for that, I salute you. And finding those things and the meaning behind those things to make people go, you know what? I do want to go to Boston. I've decided that Sam Adams is the beer I want to drink because Anheuser Busch is really. Is, is it no it's Budweiser that's Belgian now right Bud is Belgian it's not American anymore we've reached that point in the episode it's the epic Benny epic recap rant. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it all out man I'm I'm trying he's so much smarter than me I just I feel but like I'm is, like the lawnmower man think, and I'm only on day two I think <laughs> man what you're so what you're trying to say is our whole careers and our entire stories are coming together to produce the college tour and it's it is kind of the the ultimate opportunity for us and the ultimate um where we can tell the stories share them leave a mark and positively influence so many people so is there a poignant it, story you want to share now though that people can go and be inspired by through you vicariously so that let's say we're too lazy to immediately tune in 
that there's maybe some sort of catalyst to want to tune in because there's a poignancy to what you're about to say. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to be delivering pretty soon. Every week or every two weeks, there's going to be a new college up on Amazon Prime for the college tour and then on our website, which is thecollegetour.com. And so, our, like I said, our goal ultimately for any kid looking at any college could say, I'm going to go watch an episode around that college to make a decision if I want to go there. And so we are, it was a, it wasn't a slow start, but it was a slower start than it is now. And now we're starting to ramp up where it literally will be an episode at least every other week being delivered and, and pushed out. So it's going to be really exciting to have so many episodes, so many choices for students and, and parents also, right? You imagine, I mean, my daughters are six and a half, but when they want to go to school, I want to know where they're, you know, I'm not going on the college shores and and sitting in the classes and all that. Mm -hmm. But if you watch these episodes, anybody can really get an idea of what that's like. And so it's really exciting from that standpoint, helping the parents and families as well. So yeah, absolutely. Plus financially too. I mean, I remember growing up, you know, you go to high school or whatever, you've got rich friends that can (laughs) go to all the different colleges and then other people that couldn't afford it, you know, or how do you make a choice? No, but for the visits, you know, it's it's such an important thing to get an, a feel for a campus and for the people around it because you're going to spend the next four plus years of your life yeah. there. So I think that's a, like you're providing immense value to so many people and opening up the possibility for people to make a choice to go to a school they otherwise may not have gone to. Right. Or, yeah, but you're exactly right in terms of you can't visit every school. And the, the, the statistics, if you visit a school, you're significantly more likely to go there because that's what you know. But you don't know what you don't know by not visiting any, any of the others. Exactly. And so if we, you know, if a student in a perfect world, they have 10 schools on their list. We profiled all 10 of them. They say, OK, I'm not going to do those three for these reasons. These are my top three or whatever. And kind of narrow that down and then visit. Your visits are going to be more impactful because you've already kind of fleshed it out so much more. And then you're, yeah, it's more economical and everything else. So. All right, I'm going to laser focus my question because you didn't answer it whatsoever. Now that you've done this, going back and looking at yourself when you were first going to school, what school speaks to you the most and why? What story spoke to you and said to to the younger Burton that would have inspired you to want to go now being a father, but also knowing who you were back then? Why did I go to the schools that I went to? No, I'm saying what school would have spoken to you based on the episodes that you've shot? Like, did you go... To Northwestern, oh, and you're like, I love the campus so much. And they, there was a chemist there that was so good that this is what, what's knowing now what you now know. If you had gone back to you when you had first started looking at school, that was super yeah. laser what story focused. would have spoken? <laughs> what would have spoken to you the most? The stories that uh, you've now seen. What so, school? so I'll tell you, I I applied at two colleges. I visited both of them. I got into both of them. And so when I had to make a choice. Thank I revisited, you. I revisited SMU and then I kept extending my stay. I kept calling my parents saying, I think I need to stay a little bit longer because <laughs> my best friend's stepsister was, a, was a senior there and she was taking us out every night and just showing us a great time. And so there was no question after that trip I was like hundred percent of going here. Um, I think I would have, what it would have done to answer your question though, I would have applied to more schools. And I would have considered more options. I absolutely loved where I went. I love SMU and it was excellent for me. Um, but I do believe I could have fit in at a, a lot of different schools. Um, I just, I did my narrowing down in the beginning 
How rather beautifully than, politically ambiguous. Rather than <laughs> apply to 10 and then. He's not like, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to like a LSU. He's like, I can't say a school. This is going to go against anything I'm talking about. I have a gag order. We can't talk about it. It hasn't premiered yet. <laughs> so instead you're like, I, I would have had more options. You're going to have to go watch every episode. Got to watch it. Absolutely. We could talk and about this we're, offline. We're, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to checking it out. Um, and it's you a know, fun series. It's a really fun yeah, series. Yeah. And on that note, is there anything else, you know, before we wrap up that you want to let, over let, yet? let our dozens of, of viewers and listeners know about? <laughs> My mom. <laughs> Man, you know, I think uh, I think you know the college tours like that yeah. is our focus for years to come, right. which is so exciting. And you know, we could uh, the other thing that kind of ties a lot of this together. We don't have, we're not running around like a rat race of pitching all the time and trying to figure out the next step. This isn't just a, a temporary production. This is a full blown business. We're looking. We're doing five year projections right now. So it's been nice to see the mentality and the ability to go from pitching individual shows and always kind of up and down to we might be able to see a five-year path yeah. for this that is a very straightforward we could give 100 percent of our focus and our efforts on it and not be worried about you know a bunch of side projects or trying to sell something else education it's is great. limitless so just like how you guys like invented web series why not just invent a way to instead of going like hey mom I want to fly all over the country. We don't have any money. Well, I could just watch TV and learn things. And then it's like, that's actually what they're doing because of you, because there's actually smart people making, uh, creating content as you're that that's more of a fair way of putting it. But that's really interesting to think because it's a very different world because back in the day you would go somewhere and you wouldn't necessarily get the right experience. Or you think of a movie like PCU, you get Jeremy Piven and like, that's, that's what you get. Whereas now, like, you have these immersive, beautifully shot, poignant, you know, like, obviously done to a T because, you know, you work with a guy like Jolt. Like, if you're obviously your bar of excellence for anything is outrageous. <laughs> so the fact is, is you found this thing in schools and education is forever. And the fact is yeah. people are are getting dumber. It's true. So the fact is, we need you even more. We this need people to it's learn amazing. the I easiest the way. Was. Hold on. To, to eat in the colleges, to, to suck in the meaning, because there's so much information that maybe Burton needs to synthesize it for the morons like me going, I don't know where I want to go. Well, I, I will say, though, that, um, I mean, people will, always, some people will always go to college, but there is a very strong argument to make right now that the typical mentality of you must go to college for four years and then figure out what you want to do is not for everyone. And a lot of the work that we've done through dream jobbing with a lot of nonprofits, uh, ranging from boys and girls clubs, the first T and others, you know, a lot of, a lot of people would be better off going straight into trade jobs, for example, become a plumber right away. In a few years, you're making six figures and you want to talk about a job where you're never going to be out of a job is the plumbing industry. And there's a lot of other uh, industries like that. And so at Dream Jobbing, what we were doing is helping to people to understand all these different job industries that you could work in. And so I do think, you know, down the road, there could be additional content we create. Here's a college series. If you're going to college, if you're not going to college, we've got a lot of videos that can tell you. I can help you with that one. <laughs> right. Great. Well, we, we appreciate your time and uh, we appreciate, you know, hearing about your story and, and some of the you know knowledge that you've shared with us. Yeah, it's been fun. 
appreciate it. I hope I hope at some point you'll come back and join us again. Maybe for the uh, maybe for the release of these uh, some of these shows would be cool. Absolutely. I would love to do that. We're we're all getting vaccinated. So like where we felt like we've couldn't really say like we want to see people in person. It really would be great to, to catch up with you. And, and it means so much that you'll come on after all this time because it has been almost a decade. I realize I have seen Jeff and Alex a whole lot, like at least five times every time I've seen you. Um, and I got to tell you, I tip my hat to you because you guys, uh, one, the subtext of our show is really about people who are successful and they manifest what they want to do, whether it's they're on television, whether they're in heavy metal, whether um, they're an agent. And you're an entrepreneur that, that says, I love travel. I love, you know, making art and, and also education and giving back. And it's like, dude, you found that, you made it happen, and you're you're scaling it. You're scaling it, Grasshopper. And I and I, I commend you and I commend Alex. And I'm not even I, I sound condescending, but I, I really am in awe of you guys. You <laughs> guys literally today Ben sent an email that he just, can't write his own bio, but I, I can't write my own bio. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember where I was. <laughs> ever and um, what's are we live still yes and so on that you've you've all been 2020 <laughs> Bernie roberts thank you so awesome. much man we love thank you, you dude so thank y'all thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020 please visit 2020-d.com like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes this week's throwback clip is from episode number 47 featuring television producer alex boylan check it out yeah, I mean, I would say travel's pretty much like defined me. It's like at the end of the day, it's that that's like you know, I've been. I mean, you know, I think Bert and I at one point we went down to the Dominican Republic like a, a few years ago, first time like just taking a trip for not working, and like we just circumnavigated the thing. I'm just like, let's just him and I go for somewhere because most of ninety nine point nine percent of the time I'm in a location filming, right? And mm-hmm. even, even though amazing that is, it's been a while, maybe a few surf trips here and there that I actually don't travel all that much for myself, and I'm I'm trying to get back there. And we sat back and one night with tequila and we were like, let's go through and see. And we filmed in over 68 countries together. Like it's unbelievable, right? And like, you know, and that's just, that was just two kids with like an idea, you know? Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.